All right, we're going to fly through some stuff. Um, some of you have heard this once, twice, three times, but we've got people in and out throughout the summer, so we're going to fly through some of what we've talked about in previous sermons, and then we're going to pick it up from there. Okay, so we've covered that God created everything in six days and then rested. Okay, he created us in his image. Um, we talked about, do we have a far God? Do we have a near father? We talked about God creating a space for us to fill, and then he invites us to create a space for him to fill in our lives. All right? We talked about the use of chiasms, which are like patterns that are in the Bible. Um, and it's not in every place in the Bible, but it's one of those things where the Bible uses almost like shadow of thing to come. Like, let me explain this story so that later on you actually understand what that story was. Right? We see that a lot with Jesus. Um, we talked about um, Adam's father reveals the presence first and not his power first. Um, men start with rest. Days also start with rest. God really wants us to catch the idea of rest. We're going to talk about that again with Noah, whose name means? Rest. All right, you guys nailed that one. All right. Um, we talked. My, my head was annoyed. Sorry. We have belief and faith. Um, we talked about how, you know, sometimes it's okay for us as we grapple through things of the Scripture to, like, challenge. What do I believe? Is that actually accurate to Scripture? Um, you know, and, and you're going to find with me, I entertain a lot of thoughts and questions. And it's, it's, it's in hopes that we have a maturity as a group as we work through things that we can say, you know what, I can question this belief of something and it not shake my faith. All right? Um, because the purpose of checking out some of those beliefs is so that we grow in our faith. Right? Like, if I, 30 years from today, believe the exact same things that I believe today, that means I have not grown at all. Right? And so sometimes I have to question what I believe, and then you get into more depth of understanding. Uh, we talked about how our story with Adam and Eve in the garden started with goodness. We talked about how there's two trees, tree of life, and the tree of knowledge and good and evil, which led to death. We talked about that. We talked a little bit about what happened when they ate. You went from naked with no shame to naked with shame. No comparison to comparison. God judging, Adam and Eve starting to judge, and then blame. Uh, we talked about how love entered the world. We talked about how fear entered the world. We talked about how Adam had named her woman and then named her Eve. How Adam had rested and then Adam didn't know how to rest. How they trusted God and then they trusted themselves. How they knew only of life and then how they knew also of good and evil. Um, and how our Father God came close and our Father God came close. We talked about how there was no sin which led to death. After uh, there was sin that entered and led to death. We talked about mankind in the garden, and then mankind getting booted east of the garden. We talked about no enmity, and then enmity between the seed of mankind and the seed of the serpent. We talked about essentially no pain to painful childbirth and desire for your husband, but he'll rule over you. We talked about the ground being blessed, and then the ground being cursed. We talked about work and rest, and then painful work. We talked a little bit about the story of Eve and Adam and Cain and Abel and some of the things that were similar, how they couldn't master their desires and they chose to act on those desires and how God asks, where are you and where is he in both of these stories? And both of them, it's not a, I don't know where they actually are. Um, it's, hey, this is not where I left you. This is not the place. This is not like the relationship that it should be. They, again, Cain gets moved out east of Eden, all right? And again, the ground gets cursed for Cain. And then he talks about 
face being hidden from God, and Adam and Eve had hidden their faces from God. Enmity again between Cain and others. And then in both of these, God chose mercy instead of immediate death sentences. And then in both of these, new life was born out of their brokenness. Whew. Okay, that's a bunch of sermons. All right, so we have Abel, right? So you have Cain and Abel. We talked a little bit about that story last week and how Cain had killed Abel. And I just want to just point out that in Hebrews, it talks about Abel being called righteous, right? And it was by faith that Abel had offered his sacrifices. And I just want to highlight that even before the law, righteousness was seen through faith. And after the law, righteousness is still seen through faith. Like faith is the key to righteousness, right? Like the the law that comes after this moment with Abel, like later on in their history, um, it wasn't enough for them to be righteous. Like they, they couldn't uphold it. Us in the human nature, we couldn't do it. So the righteousness was always by faith, right? So faith comes through trusting God's goodness and believing he is who he says he is and that we are who he says we are. All right, another thing that we looked at last week was genealogy. And you see Cain, Enoch, Irad, Mahujel, Methuselah, Lamech. And then it does this fascinating thing. And we'll talk about this next week probably. But it tells us Lamech's uh, wives' names. So this is the first person that we have that has two wives. And it actually gives us the wives' names, which is kind of fascinating, right? Because in genealogies in Hebrew, you don't give the women's names, right? It's always the males all the way down. And then with Zillah, it tells us Tubal-Cain's sister, Nama. Okay? So it also gives us a first daughter that we have in a genealogy. So we'll talk about that next week. But right now, I want to talk about Islamic. So Cain, we have Cain that goes and kills Abel, right? And then you've got Lamech that we're going to talk about here in a minute. But before I do, I want to talk a little bit about this. So um, as Jews would look at Scripture, one of the things is they would understand a lot more Scripture than most of us. It's like their genealogy, and so like they have passing it down verbally, and they're memorizing all this stuff, right? And so one of the things that they do is they have something called, well, it's PRDS, so Peshat, which is like, This is the simple, obvious, literal meaning of a biblical text. So as we read the Bible, there's some things we read it, and we're like, obviously, the moral of this story is X. And we're like, that was simple, right? But then they challenge the reader, hey, there's a remez a lot of times. So especially in the New Testament, and especially with Jesus, like when he gives answers, I challenge you, like, look for the thing that sticks out, like, that's a weird, like, that's a very specific number, That's a very specific phrase. Like, that's weird, right? And then what they would say is, hey, there's this, like, hint that there's more to the story than what you'd know, right? And so they're like, hey, look here. And so you start digging. The people that were memorizing the scripture, it would be triggered. So, like, if I say, in the beginning, right, was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Well, to the original hearers, if I say, in the beginning, they're saying, oh, God created the heavens and the earth, right? So, like, they, their mind already triggers that thing. It's like if we have a favorite song, right? Or, you know, like, when peace like a river. You guys all know the next words, right? What is it? 
And we don't even say the word attendeth anymore. But attendeth went through your head, right? Because it's like that. So their, their stuff was almost like songs to us where they start saying it and you know what it's going to say. But then there's this pivot. It's like, wait, you didn't say that. You said was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Wait a second. So you're telling me like this Jesus guy was the word. He was God and he was with them at the beginning. And you're like, wait, what? Right? So there's this thing called remez that says like, hey, I'm going to give you this hint that there's more to the story than just what it says, right? Then you have the darash, which is basically that search. You're like, okay, I've committed to like, there's something different here. Now I'm going to go dig to what exactly does that bring up? So, okay, so in the beginning, right? So then what does it mean if Jesus was with God in the beginning? And you start digging there. That's the drosh. And sod is what they would call like the secret depth connection to the text. And this is kind of like, hey, the Holy Spirit has enlightened you. Like the Holy Spirit like connected this up to you. Like, hey, now you understand what I'm really trying to say. Okay? Whew. Matthew 18. You guys are like, I thought we were in Genesis 4. Yes, we are still in Genesis 4. But I just want to give you an example of this today. So, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Right? Now, what we, I don't know, some people probably do know this, but in their time, what was the number that you would actually forgive? Usually three, but there was this argument between rabbis, is it three or is it seven? And usually it went back to Amos, of all people. Because in Amos, there's a bunch of times where he says, for three sins or even four. And so like, wait, is it three sins that we got to forgive? Or is it three plus the four? Is it seven or is it three? I don't know. And he keeps talking about, hey, but three sins. And it's kind of this concept that they had traditionally among the Hebrew people that they'd be like, hey, you know what? If Josh wronged you three times in a row, forgive him three times, but don't give him an opportunity for the fourth. Like, what? He's obviously doing it on purpose, right? Like, how many of you guys have brothers or sisters? You're like, oh, man, it's way more than seven. Like, they are doing this thing to me on purpose, right? And so the concept was like, hey, forgive them those three times. And some of them would say, forgive them the seven times. But after that, you know what? It's on them. Like, hey, you've done your due diligence kind of deal, right? And so here is Peter saying, hey, Jesus, should I forgive them three times or seven times? And it was a conversation that they were having, all right? And Jesus, before we go there, there's this other thing. We're going back to Cain, right? Genesis 4, then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain. We don't know what that mark was lest any who found him would attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod. Does anybody remember what Nod means? Wandering. Cool. East of Eden. Um, That was your test. You guys didn't do great. It's okay. I forgive you. Um, Sevenfold, right? So he's like, okay, so sevenfold. And so it's kind of like this three or the seven, right? And Jesus answers him. I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. In the Bible, some of your versions will say 70 times 7. Some will say 77. I'll let you know that the Hebrew text, the exact whatever it is, whether the times is in like the middle of the number or after the number, the specific number is not what matters. 
that make sense? Like, it's not like you get to the 78th time or the 491st time and you're like, I'm free! I don't have to forgive Scotty anymore! Like, that's not the point. Like, that's not what he's trying to communicate, right? It's the same in this passage as in that passage, right? And these are the only two passages in the Bible. So this is one of those things where it's like, wait, why did God say 77, right? So here's your remez to go digging for your drosh, right? Oh, 77. Like, that's a very specific number. Where in the Bible is that 77? You go all the way back to Tubal-Cain and Lamech, right? Uh, So Lamech, he was basically saying, hey, you know what? Well, I'll just put it up here. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. Some versions it says a boy. Killed a man for wounding me, I killed a boy for just injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. And it's this fascinating thing, like seven is often used for like this completion idea, right? So like God completed everything in the seven days. And so a lot of times you'll see seven used in completion, right? And so it's like you've got Cain who's doing this evil. So then if it's Lemech, who is the seventh generation from Cain, is saying, hey, you know what? I'll kill a boy for even injuring me. That's pretty evil, right? Like Jesus is like, hey, this guy who's like he thinks he's the most evil dude, he's the guy like he'll kill anybody for the, the smallest of offenses, Like a guy that should be quick to forgive, he's quick to have vengeance, right? And and so Jesus is very specifically telling him, like, no, no, no. I don't want you to forgive even the amount of Cain who killed, right? Not even the seven, right? Give that vengeance to me because I can do what I need to do with it. And then we need to be not offended whether he chooses to ask act justly or have mercy, right? It's on him now. He gets to choose. But he's like, not even just like Cain, but like Lemek, who is like 10 times worse, like that guy. I want you to forgive all the place of, even if he's that vile of a dude, right? Okay, next verse. So then Jesus continues. He's like, hey, I could end my sermon here, but I'm going to keep going. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owned him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had had to be sold to repay the debt. 10,000 talents. Some of you, it's it's a bunch of bags of gold. They've changed the translation. Either way, it still has the same remez, right? That's 73,000 pounds of silver or gold, if your version is actually gold. That's a lot. Like, if you do a quick search, they, you know, Google will tell you that that's like $3.5 billion today. And they would say the average person making an average wage would take 200,000 lifetimes to pay it back. Now, I've also seen 160,000 lifetimes. I'm not going to do all the math. The point is, this is a significant debt, right? Can we all agree with that? Second of all, like it raises some questions because of the kingdom of heaven. Who's the king of the kingdom of heaven? God, right? So if God is the king, whew, in our earthly standards, if I loan out enough to Brent that he has to pay me over 200,000 lifetimes, that's a terrible job on my part, right? 
Like, that's terrible. Like, oh, yeah, hey, dog, have some more, buddy. It's okay, right? So he's not able to pay this thing, all right? And so the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. Now, for us, we're like, that's pretty terrible. But, like, that's really specific. Like, why is he, I mean, 10000 and then he's going to sell his wife and his children? Man, that's kind of crazy. So I started looking, okay, where does it say 10,000 talents of silver in the Bible, right? So you have First Chronicles 29. There's a couple things in there. I don't know that that one's the exact premise. It might also have information that, that I don't understand, right? Where the people, when they're building the new temple with Solomon, they give 10,000 pieces of silver. I don't know. But the one that makes more sense to me is the Esther 3.9 story. So you've got this Haman guy who's not a good dude, right? And you've got Mordecai who is a good dude. And Haman is offended with Mordecai, and he gets to the place where he's like, hey, king, you know what? There's a group of people, they don't, they don't follow you. Like, they're bad guys. We need to get rid of them. And he says, if it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business that they may put it in the king's treasury. One, where in the world did Haman get this kind of money that he's like, I will throw down billions if we can massacre the Jews? That is crazy. Like, do we think about that with Esther? No, I don't usually think about that. Like, that is a massive amount that he's like, let me pay this so that I can do this terrible thing. Like, that reminds me of Lamech, right? And it's like, okay. And on top of it, there's other passages that talk specifically about going after the women and children. And you're like, wait a second. I just saw that in Matthew. And now you're telling me that this is tied to Esther. And then when you start looking at Esther, you start saying, wait a second, Esther and, and Joseph have a lot of similarities, right? And I start thinking about, okay, Joseph, all right. And it's fascinating when I think of Joseph, right? So we all know Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers, right? Then he gets put in Potiphar's household. He comes on up. And as he's coming on up, he's doing righteous things. Then he gets thrown back into jail, right? He's in with these guards. He's in jail. And whew, somewhere in here, he's got to work through his stuff, right? But eventually, he gets to a place where he does what? He forgives his brothers when he sees them, right? Like, not the very first time, but when he gets them all together, he forgives them. So, like, there's a story about forgiveness with Joseph. And the cool thing is, is if you follow through the Old Testament, a lot of times what you happen is the brothers start forgiving each other. So instead of selling each other out, you have some of them where they, they help actually start helping each other. And so Esther, one of the cool things about Esther is it tells you Mordecai is from the family of Benjamin, and he's saving the family of Judah. And it's like, oh, wait a second. Okay, so now you have this, because of this forgiveness here, walked out in Esther, she remembers and forgives other brothers too. So anyways, that's another fascinating remez if you go down that trail. Okay, so at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. You think this guy's going to be able to pay back everything? Put your hands up if you're like, this guy's got it. He's going he's gonna to say to all his friends, hey, can I just borrow a few billion, and he's going to pay it off. I mean, the king should pretty much figure out this is not happening. It's, not, it's just not going to. The servant's master had compassion on him. And he canceled the debt and let him go. Canceled the debt of like 
hundreds of thousands of lifetimes of debt. And he's like, I'm going to cancel that debt. This guy should react. We know this story, right? He should react and be like, oh, man, I am free. This is awesome. I'm canceling all the people that debt to me, everything else. But does he do that? No. Okay, so in here, I look back and I'm like, okay, let me pick through this verse. Let me see what things are hidden in it that might be cool. 2 Kings 1.13 is the other place in the Bible where it talks about somebody falling on their knees. You would think that there's a bunch of places where it talks about falling on their knees, but there's really not in the Bible. And so you've got this thing that happens. We have a king that falls, and he's injured, and he sends his guys, hey, go to Baal's above, like go to this Lord of the Flies, God of the next nation over, and ask if I'm going to live through this thing or not. I'm injured. And God goes and he tells uh, Elijah, hey, intercept these guys and tell them to go back to the king and say, hey, what, is there not a, is there not a God in our country? Like, go ahead and tell him he's going to die without getting off of his bed. All right? Then he goes and he sits up on top of this hill. And it's this, like, remote passage where we're like, I don't really remember this story because it's weird, right? And so Elijah's on top of this hill, and the king is upset, and he's like, all right, I'm going to take... This captain and 50 guys, you go up and you get this guy. You bring him down. So they go up to him and like, hey, if you're a man of God, like, come on down. King says he wants to talk to you. And he's like, well, if I'm a man of God, may fire come from heaven and consume you. And it happens. So you got these 51 dudes that are charred on the side of the hill. And you're like, this is a weird story. Why in the Bible do we have this, right? And so the king's like, I'm going to send another 51 dudes. So he sent another 51 dudes. They said, hey, you know what? The king says, come now. And he's like, well, if I'm a man of God, may fire come down again. And it did. So now you've got 102 dudes. So what does the king do? He says, let's send another 51 guys, right? So again, the king sent the captain of a third, uh, third captain with his 50. And the third captain of 50 went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah. He recognized this is a man of God. He said, hey, you know what? Hey, oh, man of God. He's not questioning, are you a man of God? He says, oh, man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. And God says, hey, don't, don't fear this guy. Go down with him. Like, you finally get to this place where it's this weird, like, I don't know why the first two happened, but you finally get this guy that has a reverence for like, hey, this guy is connected to God Almighty. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall on my knees and say, God, please, hey, forgive me. Like, please let us live, Right? And Elijah does that. And so you're like, you're like, okay, this is fascinating that in the story about forgiveness is a time you go back to Kings where, where he's like, hey, you know what? If your connection is right, we're going to follow that. All right, so Matthew 18 again. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. It's like three to four months um, wages. So you're talking tons of lifetimes versus a few months. Right? And he grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? 
In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that is owed. What problems do we have with this part of the story? This is a question you can give me an answer. What things make you uncomfortable with that? What? Torture, right? So now you've got this king who said, hey, let's go torture this dude. That makes me feel uncomfortable, right? What other things? Okay? Until he should pay back all the other... How easy is it to pay back a debt when you're sitting in jail? It's not very easy, right? Unless somebody pays it for you, right? Okay, what other things make you uncomfortable? That would make you feel uncomfortable. That He's not wrong, right? Not the right context, but that's okay. Here's the thing. Is a lot of times when we read the Bible, we come up with these things and we're like, well, this is... This is true. That's kind of like the first layer. It's like, hey, this is true. It's like, yeah, but that's really not the context of what he's saying, right? This is the same thing of the rest, right? One of the things for me is in anger, like his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. I thought, I thought the king canceled his debt. Does that not make some of you guys a little uncomfortable? Am I, am I the only one there? I guess I'm not, all right, right? It's like, wait a second. And so I started digging with that. And then I I found some other people that had also dug with that. And a guy named Reed Dent and a guy named Marty Solomon, you know, I started looking through some of their stuff and what they had found with scholarly stuff. And I found that in Greek, there's an interesting thing with that payback. The word... For in 34, in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And that payback in Greek means release, forgive, cancel, or repay. But the other fascinating thing is the way that Greek works is there's the pronouns of he and he. It can actually mean different things. And so you could actually read it as though uh, I need two volunteers to stand right here. Come on up. Come on up, Josh. Okay, we got three. That's okay. So what we got right here, who wants to be the king? Okay, so Isaac is the king here. Let's say he gives Josh 200,000 lifetimes worth of stuff, and then Josh goes and he blows it all, and Josh is like, hey, I need to pay my debt, but I can't, right? And so he says, you got to fall on your knees. There we go. Please forgive me. Like, let it go. Like, I'll pay you back. And he's like, all right, sounds good. I'll, I'll forgive you, right? So then Joshua turns around. He's like, hey, you owe me $12, right? Don't actually choke him out on this one, okay? All right? And then you fall to your knees, and you're like, please, like, I can't. I'll pay it back. I will. I promise. And you're like, no, there's no way. And you throw him in jail, all right? And now let's stop for a second, all right? Now what this is saying is... If he's already canceled his debt, right? But then he sees what's happening. It's like him throwing him in jail until he should pay back all that he owed. Does that make sense? This one is already, debt is covered. This one's is not covered, right? And the point of it is, 
He's saying, I'm going to put you in jail. And so if Josh is in jail over here, he's saying, I'm putting you in jail, and I'm going to give you the key to get out of your own jail. The key to getting out of your own jail is paying back, releasing, forgiving, or canceling his debt. Forgive others as I've forgiven you. You guys, go ahead and sit down for a second. Like, do you guys see what he's saying in here? And you're like, well, Benny, I don't know. It's kind of a stretch. Like the very next verse is, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Like the whole point is forgiving, right? He's saying, hey, you know what? You're going to be in this jail and there's going to be torture. But part of that torture of unforgiveness is in our own hearts, right? Like we think if I hold unforgiveness towards somebody else, that I'm keeping them in a jail, but it really keeps us in a jail. Like you want to get free from your jails? You have to forgive those that have hurt you. Forgive those. And how much? Three times? Seven times? Maybe 77 times. Like maybe even if there's death, maybe even if there's murder, like, you're like they don't deserve it. And Jesus is saying, even like this guy Lemek, forgive that way. So he's talking from start to finish like, hey, you know what? You don't understand the story of Lemek and you want to have this vengeance, but the vengeance is mine. And you know what? I desire mercy. And I want you to walk in mercy. And there's this fascinating thing because you know who's asking Jesus that question of, do I forgive three times? Do I forgive seven times? Who is it? Peter. Shortly after this, what happens with Peter? He betrays, yeah, he betrays Jesus, right? Like, we look at that passage, and this is another sermon for another day. But like, it is very clear from our Gospels that Judas betrayed Jesus. Everybody put your hand up. You agree with that? Yes? I mean, you don't have to. But like, it's very clear. But that's another one of those Remez things where they go so specifically to say, he is a betrayer. He is the betrayer. Judas the betrayer. And part of that is because in a Hebrew mindset, in a Western mindset, we don't get this, but in a Hebrew mindset, they read that story, and you know who the betrayer is? It's Peter. Isn't that a fascinating thought? Because, and I'll talk about this another day, because Judas is following text, and he's, he's a zealot by nature, and he thinks that what he's doing, that's another story, I'm not going to get in his head right now. But like, there is a part of Hebrew understanding where they can understand how he got to where he got to. I know that's like, Benny, I don't trust you, I don't believe you. Let me, let me preach on another day. He still betrayed Jesus, okay? We're on the same page. He still did it. You've got Peter, though, which for them was a lot higher of offense, where he said with his rabbi present three times, I'm not with that guy. I'm not with that guy. I'm not with that guy. Like he disqualified himself in so many ways, which is why when you get disqualified as a Talmud, as somebody following a rabbi, what happens is you go back and apply your father's craft, your father's trade. So what did he end up doing? He went back to fishing, right? He went back to fishing because that's what you do when you're disqualified. So Jesus, after he had raised from the dead, had to go back. And, you know, like the three times he goes and he restores them the three times, right? And here's this fascinating thing that I love that, like, Peter asked this question, which was part of, I think, why he understood the forgiveness that Jesus was offering him to afterwards. Because it's like it is impossible for him to be restored. But Jesus is like, Hey, remember this Lemek guy? Remember when I was teaching you about forgiveness? Go feed my sheep. I know that you love me. 
Be free from your prison. Let yourself go. Stop torturing yourself. Let yourself out. Isn't that fascinating? All right. I think let's go to this. Um, What we do with this church is a lot of times, it's our tradition that we break up into groups. We don't have a church with a minister. We have a church of ministers. So we minister to each other. We get together. We pray over each other. We encourage each other. You can grapple through what I talked about, or you could say, you know what? I need prayer in this other area. If you are new to the church, you are not obligated to be in this uncomfortable spot where you have to pray over people you don't know. But I do encourage you, join a group and let them pray a blessing over you, okay? How much you share is up to you, but uh, this is a time for us to just um, encourage each other, bless each other. It might be a time where you need to say, I, I need help forgiving this person in my life. I need help forgiving that person in my life. You know what? I think it's time that I walk out of my prisons, okay? So go ahead, find a group, and then what we'll end up doing is we'll go into worship via song and then a baptism after that. All right, go. Cool.